Christmas songs. Um, the story behind that, uh, the man who wrote this, this was in mid-1800s, Civil War time. Um, <clears throat> his son was seriously injured in the Civil War. His wife, through an accident of... Um, with a candle, was severely burned and ended up dying. And in that song, you, you can imagine, if you put up the third verse again, I think it is, um, you can imagine him as he's hearing the Christmas bells ringing. Um, it took him a couple years but he'd hear the Christmas bells, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. The Civil War is going on. For hate is strong, and it mocks the song. See, we're not in the midst of the physical Civil War, but... There come many times in our lives that we can say, there is no peace on earth. And often it's a battle in our own heart and life for the peace. For hate is strong, and it's almost like it mocks the song. The angel said, peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's almost like a mockery, like, where is that? And uh, then I love the next verse where it says, I forget what it says, but it'll be there in just a second. Um, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. Um, the wrong will fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. I love that. God is not dead, although everything may say, where is God? And in our own lives, we may be wondering, God, God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. It's not like He's not paying attention. The wrong shall fail. Amen? And God will prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. So, um, written from much, much travail and heartache, and yet has been a blessing to us through the years. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 again. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> Last week we dealt with the first aspect of beginning at verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he's calling our attention to the whole Christmas account. And he said, think about Christ. He was in the form of God, but He is God. And it says He didn't think it robbery to be equal with God. And last week we saw that Jesus Christ is God. And so this is where the Christmas story begins. It begins with God, and 
it ends with God, and all of history begins with God and ends with God. But this is, this is where it begins. Jesus Christ, as God, took upon himself, this tells us, the form of a slave or a servant or a bondservant. He made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a servant. It is said when the story of West India slavery was told to the Moravians, it was told that it was impossible to reach the slave population in the West Indies because they were completely separated from the ruling classes. They were just outcasts and you couldn't reach them. Well, two young men, Johann Dober and David Nitschmann from Hernhot, Germany, in 1732 felt called to minister to the islands of St. Thomas and St. Croix, specifically to these slaves. When they were told that they couldn't do that, they sold themselves to a slave owner and boarded a ship bound for the West Indies. On the ship, the people on board the ship, the the crew on the ship said, you are crazy. They mocked them. They ridiculed them. They said, you won't, you won't survive. You will die. And yet their motto through this, when they departed the docks and through their two-month journey to the West Indies, was may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. So their purpose was, may the Lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ, receive the reward of His suffering. They said, we are willing to go be slaves on the plantations. We will work as slaves. We will toil as slaves. We will take the lashes of slaves, if need be, to teach them about Christ. They left their homes They went to the West Indies, worked there side by side, and because of their closeness and identifying with the slaves, saw God do amazing work in bringing many to salvation. And uh, a direct result of their willingness to humble themselves for the cause of Christ. We hear accounts like that and we think, that's incredible. And it is. But it is nothing compared to what Christ did for us. And as we come to this Christmas season, we need to be reminded that He made Himself of no reputation. We need to be reminded of what Christ did. He was God, is God, and now today we want to look at this aspect that He emptied Himself. 
Literally, the phrase in this passage, made himself of no reputation, literally it means he emptied himself of self to completely dump it out. It it was not about himself. He made himself of no reputation. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And notice verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Here's another explanation of what took place at Christmas. Though he were rich, God, all the exercise of the Godhead, the power was at his fingertips. Though he were rich, yet he became poor. He gave up his willful right to exercise his Godhead, and he took upon himself the form of a servant. He came to this earth. He set aside his legitimate and natural prerogative as God. He set aside his right to be served. He set aside his right to be honored, to be glorified. And he emptied himself to completely eliminate any ranking, any high status, any privileges, he willingly set those aside. He did not empty himself of his deity. He was always God, but now he was fully God and fully man. And he gave up the outward manifestation of his Godhead. So he gave up his glory. He gave up his honor. He gave up his riches. The independent exercise of his will, he gave that up. Because of his relationship with the Father. So, first thing is, he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. For us, being rich, he became poor. And then you notice it says, taking the form of a slave. Literally, uh, most of our translations don't translate it as slave, but literally, it is slave. It, It literally means he took the very attributes and the characteristics of a slave. And what are the characteristics of a slave? Absolute and total submission to the will of another. Not owning anything, not having a will. And and this is what Christ did for us. We we sang the song earlier, What Child Is This? 
Why lies he in such mean a state? This is, this is God who we looked at last week. And now, why is he in such basic and mean a state where, where the cattle and the donkeys are? I mean, walk out to your barn. It's not a place, I don't care how well you keep your barn. It's not a place you want to eat dinner today when you go home. And this is God. And you talk about emptying himself. He was willing to do that and become identified and come as a slave. For you and for me. I mean, if this afternoon when you went home, Governor Reynolds showed up in your driveway and, and said, you know, I'm just here and this afternoon I want to serve you. And said to you ladies, you just come in and sit down. I brought a meal we have it prepared for you. You'd be saying, no, 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 no. You'd be greatly humbled if that were to happen. But this isn't Governor Reynolds. This is God Almighty. And he took upon himself the form of a slave, willing to not just come and come as I'm here to rescue you. No, he came as despised and rejected. There was, there was nothing, Isaiah tells us, nothing noticeable about, noticeable about him that made it stand out for them to say, Oh, wow, that's Jesus, the Messiah. No, they said, Ah, that's Joseph and Mary's boy. Who does he think he is? That's James' brother. Who does he think he is? And he came and took upon him the status of a slave. And you notice again as you look in this passage, and came in the likeness of man. He emptied himself. He took on the status of a slave and he became a man. Why? He did this to be Emmanuel, God with us. He was committed to knowing the experiences of the human body of childhood and boyhood and passing through the, the stages of manhood. We sing a Christmas carol, No Crying He Makes. I have a hard time believing that. He was God, but He was human. And it's natural for babies to cry. Not in temper tantrums, He wouldn't have, but... I'm hungry. He experienced hunger. He became a man. 
In Islam, there are seven heavens. And Allah may only come down to the third heaven from time to time. Never gets nearer to mankind than that. Our Savior came all the way down to the manger in Bethlehem. He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death. Only Jesus did that. And that's what we're remembering here. So again we ask, why did it have to be this way? Why did he do it like this? Turn, please, to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and notice verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, reference to Jesus Christ, likewise shared in the same, shared in the same flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted He is able to aid those who are tempted. So a passage here, again, we don't think of this as necessarily a Christmas passage, but it says, He became flesh and blood, not for the sake of the angels, but for we as mankind. And He said here that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest. He became flesh in order to be merciful and faithful high priest interceding for you and for me. When you're lonely, he's experienced loneliness to the maximum. When when you are hungry, when you are thirsty, all of these things... He has already experienced and way beyond any rejection you have ever experienced in your life. It's nothing compared to the rejection he's experienced. He is, it also says in Hebrews, touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Any burden you have, he, he's already known and experienced it. And he is burdened alongside with you and he's interceding on our behalf. He became flesh in order to be a merciful and faithful high priest. But he became flesh, the next phrase in that verse, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He came to 
reconcile sinners to God, to provide a way that we are restored to fellowship with God. It is only through Jesus Christ. And it was only as He became flesh, it was only as He, first of all, emptied Himself and willingly gave up my rights to practice as God, although He was still God. And not only that, but He came as a slave with no will of His own. And His will was totally the will of the Father. And He came not demanding any rights of His own. And He came and experienced flesh and blood, God in the flesh. So that He could be a faithful intercessor on our behalf, but most importantly, that He could reconcile sinners to God. He Himself suffered, it says, being tempted. And He is able to provide help to those who are also tempted. Do you understand? He came to forgive our sins, to save us, but then He is there to intercede for us with the needs that we have when we go through temptations. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He was directly tempted by Satan. And he knows <clears throat> the temptations you face. It was necessary in God's plan for him to empty himself, to take on the status of a slave, to become a man, to provide forgiveness of sins and an intercessor on our behalf. And that's what we have here today. That's what we celebrate during this Christmas season. So we ask, what does this mean to us? Number one, it means Jesus Christ alone is the way to the Father. If there were any other way If there were many other ways, then why was this necessary? Why would he lay off from himself the Godhead and become a slave and experience all the things of mankind? He did it because that is the only sacrifice. He alone is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. There is no other. And you will run into many people that will say, well, that's one of many ways. No, there is only one way. And Christmas reminds us of that again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. And it is imperative that we make sure we are in Christ. And it is imperative that we stand for that truth and don't mislead people in thinking, well, if you believe that way, that's fine. No. It doesn't matter how sincere you are in your belief. It doesn't matter how sincere someone believes something. 
if it's wrong, they're sincerely wrong. And what is in balance is eternity. So, this whole thing, he emptied himself, made himself of no reputation. All of this is because he knew there was no other way. And remember in the garden, Jesus prayed again in an attitude of a servant slave. He said, God, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but you are the master. And we know that God the Father said there is no other way. This is the only way mankind can be brought back to fellowship with God. And so it ought to fill our hearts with that this is the price that you paid for me? It, it, it wasn't leaving the security of Germany and going to slavery in the West Indies. It was leaving heaven and bearing the mocking, scoffing vileness of mankind and bearing our sins. And He did it for us. So back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. What this means to me is, first of all, Jesus Christ alone is the way to the Father. But notice Philippians 2.5. He prefaces all of this by saying, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And now he's going into the mind that was in Christ Jesus. We'll come back, hopefully, at a later date and tie the first few verses. Paul is saying, hey, if the gospel is true, dwell together in unity. If, if, if this is true, love one another. That's what he's saying in the first four verses of this chapter. Function as a body. And then he says, here's how you do it. You let this mind... Be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And he goes in and he tells us the mind of Christ when he came at Christmas and when he came and lived his life. So what does it mean to me to have this mind of Christ? It means I need to empty myself of self. Romans says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto Christ. If I am dead to self, it's pretty hard to be offended. See, if, if we prop the dead man up here, you could, you could come up, slap him in the face. You could call him any names you wanted to call him. And there'd be no response because he's dead. We have wrong responses because we are alive and well. We have not emptied ourselves of self. And that's why Paul said it's an ongoing process. I die daily, he said. It's an on. If Christ did it, 
Is it too much to ask us to do it? Christ was willing to give up not his human rights, but the rights of a Godhead. And it brings it down to us in our life that I am to have the mind of Christ, so I need to empty myself of self. It is not about me. My goodness, we need to be reminded of that over and over again when, when our flesh flares up and when we're demanding our own rights and when we're bothered about this and when we feel neglected and rejected. Wait a minute, it's not about... I need to empty myself of self. And that's what he says. If, if you're going to live in peace, if you're going to live in oneness, if you're going to show to the world what real Christianity is, you need to have this mind. That is the mind of Christ, and you need to empty yourself of self. And then we need to have a slave's mentality. The early believers (coughs) were called Christians by those of the outside world. Meaning, they are Christ followers. It was a name given to them by others. But the earliest believers repeatedly referred to themselves as the Lord's slaves. You look at Paul's letter. Paul, our translations mostly say, a servant of Jesus Christ. It really means, and they knew exactly what it meant, and Paul knew exactly what it meant when he wrote, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. I have given up my rights to serve this wonderful, beneficial, perfect master. And I am unashamedly identified With the Lord. The Lord means master. I am identified and I give up my rights to you, God. I am the Lord's slave. We have an idea of Christ that He is here to fulfill our wishes. Kind of like a personal assistant or a personal trainer to help me get stronger and and to help me know success. The New Testament idea of Christ couldn't be more different. He is the master and the owner. We are his possession. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is the son of God. We are his subjects, his subordinates, and his slaves. We don't like the term slaves. But when you are a slave of the perfect master, you take delight in it. When, you are, when your master gave his life to preserve your life, you delight in him. And no other master will take better care of you than this master. He said, come unto me, all you that labor. Take my yoke. In other words, he said, 
Hook up with me. Put the yoke, my yoke, on you. And in a yoke, there was a lead animal and there was the second animal. And the second animal followed the lead of the lead animal. So Jesus Christ is coming and He has this yoke and He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn to walk in, in step with me. Learn of me. And what did He say? For I am meek and lowly of heart. And He says, <clears throat> When you come to see yourself as a slave of Christ, when you come to yoke up with Christ, He said, You will find rest unto your soul. There is great peace and great rest in just having the yoke of Christ on and looking at Christ and saying, what do you want me to do? You want me to go over here? Okay. What do you want me to do? How do you want... There is great peace. There is great rest in that. But it's coming to say... I am under you, God. You are my Lord and Master. See, when, when we have that mentality, it's just, I need to obey. If that's what God says, I need to do it. We don't need to bring things up and, and I wonder, should I do it? And our mind can rationalize. I know that's what the Bible says, but I think that will make it worse and blah, blah, blah. And we all do it. We rationalize things away. No. The Master said, so I need to do it. He's the Master. I'm the slave. The Lord's slave. I've, I've really struggled with this because there's no way I can properly convey it. But I say that to say, we even struggle saying the Lord's slave. Like, ooh. Listen, He is God. And, and that He would allow me even to, even to do the most menial task in His kingdom, I should say, hallelujah. Let alone to bring me to fellowship with Him. And you look throughout Scriptures, and the early Christians did see themselves as the servant or slaves of the Lord. So we are to have the mind of Christ. That means I empty myself of self. I have a slave's mentality. And I ought to be concerned about the needs of others. Jesus Christ came, He humbled Himself, and took upon Him the form of a man. Why? He was concerned about the needs of others, so that He could be the faithful intercessor. But if I have not emptied myself, I'll never see or do anything about the needs of others. All I see is my needs. It begins with emptying ourselves with self. It comes with obedience to God. And then it's being concerned about the needs of others. It's hard to think you're better than others 
when you understand I am a slave of Jesus Christ. See, this Christmas we need to think about the full ramifications of Christ's coming. And empty ourselves of self, have a, an attitude of submission to God, and think, God, how can I minister to others during this season? Open my eyes. Let me see that. Because you care so much about me. You came and lived a life that bore rejection, that knew loneliness, that walked alone with God, that all the... the entire spectrum of emotions and, and feelings that anyone could ever have, Jesus experienced it, and, and He now intercedes on your behalf. You're not alone. You may feel this Christmas, nobody knows what I'm going through and nobody cares. And The song says, does Jesus care? And, and I love the chorus, and we're going to sing it in just a moment. Oh, yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Why? He emptied Himself. He became a slave, took upon Himself the form of a man so that He would know everything we experience And now He ever lives and intercedes for us. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas. Heavenly Father, I pray that our meditation this Christmas season would fully be on You. Lord, may we grow in our understanding of what You gave up what you became, and what you are now for us. Lord, it's truly humbling when we begin to even grasp a little bit of these truths. And I pray today, if there is one individual here today that has never come to You for reconciliation, for forgiveness of sin, Lord, I pray today they would call upon You that Your gift would not be rejected, that Your gift would not be forgotten, but Lord, that the sacrifice of Your Son, Jesus Christ, for the remission, the forgiveness of our sin would be appropriated and real in each life here today. Lord, then I pray for believers. Lord, may we come to realize the greatness of Your love for us. And I pray that we would yoke up with You, that we would empty ourselves of self, that we would be committed that whatever You tell us to do, nevertheless, at Your will, that we would be committed to that. And Lord, I know as we are that then You will use us in the lives of others. So I pray that there would be a returning to the yoke with You. 
Not as seeing it burdensome and weary and chafing, but Lord, that we would see it with joy and delight that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Lord, may you be pleased at our responses, not just today, but through this season. To you, our Lord and Master, in Jesus' name, amen.